Good morning. The scripture reading this morning is from the second Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out Sorry. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged them Ammonites and besieged Rabbi. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is the word of the this is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jamie, for our scripture lesson this morning. And I once again like to say a word of thanks to our praise band, who most ably leads us in music and praise and worship every Sunday morning. Thank you all for doing that in such a beautiful way. Some of you already know this, but um. Just prior to our service here, we got some very tragic news from some members of our church. <clears throat> and I've kind of been dealing with that and trying to prepare for this moment. But um, we have three of our church members that have uh, had a great tragedy. Uh, Darren Vince, a husband of Tatum, and Madeline Himba, um, her husband Joe. <clears throat> and um, So we've got Darren Vince, we've got Madeline Himba, and we've got her son, Joe and um, my son Joseph, seven years old, they were hunting in a duck blind this morning, and the duck, duck blind collapsed, and uh, all three of them um, were killed. Darren was one who made this cross for us in the service, all three members of our church, um, two, two families, <clears throat> um, a tragic loss. So I just encourage us to take a moment remembering Darren and Madeline, Joseph, but also Remembering uh, their families, Tatum, Darren's wife, Joe, Madeline's husband, all the children involved. Let's just lift them up in prayer right now. Take a moment to do that. Lord, in the midst of such a moment of wilderness, I can't. <clears throat> I don't know that any of us here can imagine such grief as loss of mother, wife, father, husband, child, sister, all in one moment. How fragile life is. Yet God, somehow, as we just sung about, we turn our eyes to you in times like these. We lift up these two families and all of the extended families and our church family who is in shock and grief over this. And in the days and the months and the years ahead, that your grace and your mercy and your comfort and your power and your strength will carry them through this time, carry us through this time. Help us to be there for each other. 
You just lift them up, God, wrap them in your loving arms right now. And in the midst of a moment like this, we thank you that you are a God who walks with us in the wilderness. You are a God who promises us that even when we come to face with tragic loss and death, that you still walk with us. You're still there to receive us. Give us that promise of eternal life and the hope and the promise that there'll be a day we'll see them again. God, I lift up Tatum and Joe. You just wrap your loving arms around them right now. And in this moment, Lord, we try to seek meaning of your word for our life today. I pray, God, that you enable me to proclaim your word at a time when it's most difficult to do so. I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to hearing your spirit that speaks to us where we are. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find ourselves in the midst of a series of sermons where we're dealing with what we're calling lessons from the wilderness. (laughs) Appropriate. We're actually looking at the wilderness experiences of five biblical characters from the Old Testament. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you will know that we have talked about how the wilderness is actually uh, both a geographical place. It's an actual place. uh, It's the desolate barren land that uh, we refer to as the Judean wilderness. But it's also a metaphor. It's a metaphor for talking about those times in our life that are very difficult, uh, despairing times, hopeless times. And what we know is that every one of us here in this room is going to go through wilderness moments in our lives. We're all going to go through those times where we experience tragedy, where we experience loss, grief, despair, fear, anxiety, brokenness. That's just part of um, being human. Things happen. So we're looking at these wilderness experiences of these uh, biblical characters to try to learn what they might be able to teach us to how to make it through such times in our own lives. And where is God at work in our lives at such times that we know as wilderness? Last week we looked at the story of Ruth and Naomi. Um, And we try to understand what their story might be able to teach us about how we can walk through that valley that we call the shadow of death. And there we learned that um, even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. He walks with us. He does not forsake us. And even when we experience death itself for, our, for ourselves or for our loved ones, we know that life doesn't end there. That God is still with us. He walks with us. He carries us. He welcomes us with the promise of eternal life. Today, we're going to be looking at the um, story of Ruth's great-grandson, David. And David went through a lot of wilderness experiences in his life. You remember how he was hunted down by King Saul? <clears throat> he had to face the giant Goliath at one point. He, um, he went through times of fear, through times of grief and um, doubt that God was even there around him. But the story that we're going to be focusing our attention on today is one of the stories that was not one of David's finer moments. Um, This was a wilderness that David created on his own. I mean, he created for himself. Uh, This was caused by choices and decisions that he made 
that led him into a time of wilderness. And the reason that we're going to talk about this story is because I think we often find ourselves right where David is. There are times when we have made decisions, bad decisions or choices, and we find ourselves living in those wilderness moments that we've created for ourselves. Uh, There are times when we're separated from God and we find ourselves separated from others. We find ourselves going through shame and guilt because of choices that we've made in life. And we're going to find that in David's story, what God is able to do in those wilderness moments of life when we turn to him. So, I mean, I'm looking forward to this, this story. I think we're all familiar with David's stories. I mean, if you, um, it's hard for you not to know something about David or King David or a little David, shepherd David boy. Uh, it's hard for you not to know something if you've read the Bible at all. Because uh, second to Jesus, he is mentioned more than any other character in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, there is, are 64 chapters devoted in the Old Testament to David's story. Half of the Psalms, 75 of the Psalms are either written by David, dedicated to David, or written about David's experiences in life. The the Bible describes David as being a man after God's own heart. He's lifted up as one of those exemplary um, examples of what it means to be a good king. I mean, he's even um, the example of what it means to be a Messiah. I mean, even Jesus is referred to as the son of David. Even today, on the um, flag of Israel, you have the star of David. I mean, after 3,000 years of his death, since his death, I mean, he's still uh, being revered as this exemplary leader for the people of Israel. So everyone in Israel knew the stories of King David. And if you've grown up in the church or you have read your Bible, then, then you know these stories too. These are just ingrained in our conscience and our faith. Uh, they're so much a part of us. And I think the reason that these stories are remembered is because they teach us so much about life. They teach us about our human nature, and they teach us about how God is at work in our lives. In our text for today, I think you're going to find the same thing. You're going to find all these things being taught to us. We read in our text, in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all of Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, This story is trying to point out something to you that you need to recognize. It's trying to point out the fact that something has changed in David's heart. Something is not right with the king. Um, Sometimes success can lead you to a place in life that changes you. Sometimes you begin to think that, you know, Things don't apply to you. You're just above everything. And that seems to be what's happened for King David here. Uh, He's been very successful as a king. He's been very successful as a warrior and 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 a hero type of figure all his life. And now that's changed him. I mean, something's happened to him. He used to always go out and fight with his army. He never sent his soldiers out to fight for him. He always led them into battle. But here we read that uh, he's staying in Jerusalem in the comfort of his palace. The text points out it is springtime, the time when kings go out to battle. But that's not what David does. He stays home. Something, something's changed with the king. Uh, sometimes when you reach the peak of your success, you begin to think that the rules really don't apply to you anymore. You're kind of above all that. You think you no longer have to bear the consequences of your decisions anymore. You're above that as well. 
And that seems to be what's taking place in David's story. His sense of power and entitlement uh, provides the way for what happens next, I believe, in our story. We read, it happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Now, here you have this man after God's own heart. He's the exemplary king that kind of represents what a king should be. He's a man of God. And he's walking around on his rooftop. The king's palace is higher than everybody else's. And he he sees this woman bathing. Now, what would be the appropriate response for a man of God, honorable man of God, a king, you know, a man after God's own heart? What would be the appropriate response for him to make when he he sees this? I think the appropriate response would have been like, oh, geez, oh, I don't need to see that. You know, I, I really don't need to see that. I need to I tell you, what, I'm going to go back downstairs. I have a cup of coffee, maybe pop a top, watch some, watch some ESPN for a while while she finishes up. Then, then I'll consider going back. But I, I just don't need to see that. Right. I mean, that would be the appropriate response. Uh, but that's not what David does. <clears throat> and I'm going to give David the benefit of the doubt here that he didn't go up on that roof looking for this. <laughs> but when he sees it, instead of turning his eyes, instead of looking away or going back downstairs, he turned into a peeping Tom, basically. He's watching this woman bathe. Again, something is wrong here. Something has changed in the king. It's not right. But listen, not a man or probably most women here cannot relate to this to some degree. Because every time you turn on your television sets to watch a movie or a show, every time you turn on your computer screen, you see these images of people scantily clothed. Or some of them don't have any clothes at all on And you have a choice whether you're going to look at that, watch that, or not. Uh, And what choice you make is going to take you down a certain path. Um, You know, the truth is Bathsheba uh, is on everybody's television and computer screen all the time. You don't have to uh, crane your neck to see her from your balcony. She's just a click away at any moment. So the choice that you have to make is, are you going to look at that? You want to see more? (laughs) Or do you turn away? Well, here's what happened to David. David sent someone to inquire about this woman. It was reported that this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David discovers that this woman that he's watching bathe is married. And, you know, here again, what should have been the appropriate response here uh, to, to this? It's, I would think, you know, to being the righteous man after God's heart, he learns that this woman is married. That's it. No, I'm, I'm not going to look anymore. I now know she's married. So, look, I'm not going to look anymore. I'm, I'm going to um, I'm not going to come up on the rooftop about four o'clock in the afternoon. when She takes her bath anymore. I'm just I'm just not going to this. This is wrong. I shouldn't do this. But again, that's not what will be here happening. He actually learns also that this woman is married to Uriah, who is one of his soldiers out fighting the battle for him. So in learning this, that should have been it. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And, and I think, again, to a certain degree, <clears throat> we can all relate to this story. Uh, I, I think we all find ourselves desiring some things that we want. And um, we all struggle with this, you know. We, we, uh, we have this in our mind, this thing that we want, and we say to ourselves, you know, 
ah, that's probably not what I need. No, it's wrong. I shouldn't want it. But then there's that desire that tells you you do. And you feel this tension, this struggle going on in you. Should I? Shouldn't I? Uh, we all struggle with this in life. We all struggle with temptation. It's some part of our life we do that. So <clears throat> what do you think that David did? What, who, what wins out in David's life? Well, we find that answer in verse 4. David sent messengers to fetch her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. And the truth is, this verse has been cleaned up an awful lot so that it can be put in the Bible, but, uh, <clears throat> and that's probably a good thing. But there's some questions here that beg to be asked when you read this. Bathsheba is home waiting on her husband to come home from the battlefield, and the king sends someone to come get her, takes her to his house. Does she go willingly? Does she really have a choice in the matter? I mean, remember, uh, King David is the strongest, most powerful man in all the nation. Just with a word, he could have somebody put to death. So what's the power differential here between these two? And then when she gets to the house, uh, is she she always wanted to sleep with the king? (laughs) Or is she forced to do so? Well, there's, there's another word that we use here in our world today, and you've heard a lot of it here recently in the news. We call it rape, uh, sexual molestation or sexual harassment. We call it a lot of things, but that's what many scholars believe is going on here in this story. So we have David, who is a, a man of God, who is struggling with temptation, and he succumbs to temptation. And this is going to lead him to a wilderness in his life of his own creation. Have you ever been in a wilderness of your own creation? A time when you made a decision that you knew at the time you shouldn't be doing that, but you did it anyway, and now you find yourself in a place of misery, a place of everything's in chaos, there's nothing but pain. Well, that's where David is headed. He just doesn't know it yet. And again, I think we can all relate to this. And it's not that all of us have committed adultery or, or worse or rape or sexual harassment, but we've all made bad decisions. We've all struggled with temptation in our lives. This is just part of our universal human condition. This is why you find throughout the Bible scriptures and verses like this. We, all we, are like sheep who have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, we don't really like to use that word sin today because when you use that word, you're saying it too judgmental when you say somebody's sinning. Well, come up with your own word. But the word in Greek actually is hamartia, which means to stray from the path. So there is a path that God has for us to follow in this life. Our problem is that we have this tendency to stray from that path. We make bad decisions, and this is something I struggle with. This is something you struggle with. We all struggle with this. We tend to be drawn to those things that are wrong that we shouldn't be involved in, and it's that thing that has ended up going to bring us misery and pain. It takes you to a place of wilderness. But here's what you need to know, that when you sin, when you succumb to temptation that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a horrible person because we all do it right and of course it depends on uh if you haven't learned from your mistake you continue to do it or the severity of what you're doing but when you sin and you succumb to temptation it really just makes you human 
Because again, this is a part of our human condition, our human nature. This is the same story that you're going to see throughout the entire Old and New Testament, throughout the Bible, over and over again. David is just one picture of this reality that we live in. So David sleeps with Bathsheba, and then she goes back to her house, and he goes on with his life, and he's not interested in her anymore. I mean, he got what he wanted. But then a few months later, Bathsheba sends a message. Uh, David, I'm pregnant. Now, Uriah has been out on the battlefield all this time, so there's no way that he could be the father of this child. So David finds himself in a whole heap of mess right now at this point. And what's he going to do? I mean, what is the king going to do to try to solve this problem that he has created for himself? Well, if he was living in today's world, he might tell or order Bathsheba to go have an abortion and just, you know, make it all disappear. But he didn't have that option there. So he sends a note to his general, General Joab. And he said to him, I want you to put Uriah... uh, on the task to come home. I sent him home to give me a report on how the battle's going. And so Uriah comes home. He gives the king a report on how the battle is going. And then the king says, Uriah, you have been such a, a model soldier. I'm so proud of you. Why, why don't you go home tonight and lie in the arms of your wife? What a great king, right? <laughs> Jeez, what a great guy. But Uriah says, no way. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> he says, you know, I, I could never do that when my comrades are out on the field fighting the battle away from their homes and families. I will not. In fact, I will sleep at the entrance of your palace to help protect it. That's, that's what I'm going to do. Houston, uh, we have a problem now, don't we? I mean, what's the king going to do now? He won't go home to his wife. So he says, well, stay over one more night, and tomorrow night, come on over for supper. The plan was to get Uriah drunk. You know, Uriah is an honorable man, but... He figures if he can get him drunk enough, he uh, will have somebody take him over to his house. He'll never remember whether he slept with his wife or not. But um, Uriah, again, refuses to do so. He says, I will not do this. Even after getting him drunk, (laughs) he wouldn't go home. So when you find yourself in the midst of a wilderness that you created for yourself and you're desperate to get out of it, sometimes you make unwise decisions that actually end up making things worse. And for those of you who know this story, you know that's exactly what David does. Uh, David writes a letter to General Joab saying, when Uriah gets back, I want you to place him on the front line of the battle. And in the heat of the battle, I want you to pull your troops back, but don't tell Uriah. This was a death sentence for Uriah. He then folded that note, he sealed it, and he handed it to Uriah to deliver to, King, to, to General Joab. He was actually delivering his own death sentence. He didn't know it. So General Joab does as he's instructed. Uriah is placed in the front of the line, and the soldiers pull back and retreat, and Uriah is killed. Then when word gets back to Jerusalem, it gets back to Bathsheba, and the family there, all of them began to grieve his loss. And then at a certain point, David, being the kind and compassionate king that he is, He comes forth and announces that he is now going to take Bathsheba into his harem and he's going to raise Uriah's child as his own. Wow, what a great guy. So King David begins, he's known as a hero over this. Everybody's, wow, look what King David is doing. He's a great hero. What a great king. And it seems that everything is going fine, but David is living 
with all of this inside of him. I mean, David knows that the 10th commandment says, do not covet your neighbor's wife. He knows that the 8th commandment forbids us from stealing from someone else, our neighbor. He knows that the 7th commandment commands us, do not commit adultery. He knows that the 6th commandment says, do not commit murder. He knows that the 1st commandment says, don't put anything else above the Lord your God, which includes your desires. And he's, he's violated all of these, and probably even more. But again, being a king, you think that you're above the law. You think the rules really don't apply to you. So everything's going fine. They think he's a great king. Life's good. But then one day Nathan the prophet shows up. And he knows better. And there comes a point that Nathan confronts the king. And they have this interesting uh, dialogue together, which I hope that you read as you take your study notes home with you. Or you get to read that this week. It's a, it's a great uh, way that Nathan comes to him. And then he finally sums it up by saying this. I anointed you. He speaks, he's speaking on behalf of God. He says, I anointed you king over Israel. And I rescued you from the, the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that hadn't been too little, I would have added much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord and done what is evil in his sight? So this man who was after God's own heart, this exemplary king, um, this guy that 64 books in the Bible were written about, or 64 chapters in the Bible were written about. Uh, half of the Psalms were written about. This, this guy has sinned against God. He sinned against Uriah and his family. He sinned against Bathsheba and her family. He sinned against his own his, his soldiers. He sinned against the whole nation of Israel. And now when he's confronted with this, finally, he is broken. He's broken. And in the midst of his brokenness, he cries out, God, I realize I have sinned against you. He now finds himself in this wilderness that he's created for himself, a living hell. Today, we would say that he hit rock bottom. I mean, some of you know what that's like. Some of you know of people who have hit rock bottom. I know of many people over the years who have um, been addicted to drugs and alcohol or gambling or pornography or other things. They've ended up losing everything they have. I know of people who have, you know, committed adultery. They've ended up losing their marriages, their families, those who have um, stolen from their businesses, even stolen from the church. I could go on and on with the, the bad choices that people have made, and they've ended up losing everything. And they end up finding themselves in this horrible wilderness, and what you see is that one bad choice tends to lead to another and is compounded, and finally they just lose everything. And they hit rock bottom. And the common thing that I often hear people saying when they find that bottom is the pain. The pain of it all is just too much to bear. It's a horrible place to be. It's a horrible wilderness to hit bottom. And for many, when they reach that point, they just see no way out. They see no hope. Was there any hope for David? I mean, really, after everything that he had done, all the people he hurt, was there any hope for this man? Well, Scripture says that there's always hope with God. There's always hope. Even in the midst of such a horrible wilderness as this, God is still the God of the second chance. David responds to Nathan's words of judgment 
by falling on his knees, humbling himself before God, and repenting. Now, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is recognizing the pain. It's recognizing the, the wilderness that you created for yourself and everybody else around you. It's owning that, fully owning that. And then it's confessing that to God. And it's asking for God's help to turn away from that behavior. You know, repentance is, is to make a change. It is to change the way you're thinking, which changes your heart, which changes your actions. This is repentance. And this is what you hear David saying in Psalm 51. <clears throat> these are the actual words that David says to Nathan once he's confronted about these things. And I'd love for us to try to read these together, if you will. Let's read them together as you see them on the screen. Just a portion of this, this uh, chapter, 51 Psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You know why that psalm is in our Bible? It's there for you and for me. This story is in there for you, because we're all going to encounter those times in our lives where we stray from the path. We find ourselves in the midst of the wilderness that we've created for ourselves. And we're going to need these kind of words to turn to. You can turn to this, this uh, psalm and you can begin to pray this psalm. And these words become your words. These words are there for us. Because we're all going to need them at some point in our life. Did God forgive David? Of course he did. That's who God is. But there were consequences to his actions. Uh, there, there were things that began, were set in motion because of these choices, the decisions that David made that could not be changed, that couldn't be stopped just because God forgave him. Uh, the child from Bathsheba would die. One of his daughters was, was raped. One of his sons was killed by another son. There were battles that he fought that turned out bad. But when you get to the end of David's life, this is what you read in, in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. The period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. He died at a good old age, full of days, riches, and honor. God was for David, the God of the second chance. Today we remember King David as a man after God's own heart. Remember that he was a, a hero, a great warrior king. But it wasn't always that way. Along his journey in life, he made some horrible decisions that led him to a horrible wilderness for himself, and it hurt so many other people around him. And yet still, God showed mercy to him, and God gave him a second chance. And what I want to say to you today is that this story can be your story. Wherever you are in your life right now, or wherever, whatever's happened in your past, with God there's always hope. There's always hope for a new beginning. God is the God of the second chance. As the scripture says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
The Bible promises us that you can begin again. You can have a new life in Christ. You can be forgiven. I mean, Christ came as our Savior to save us of our sins, to uh, reconcile us unto God. I mean, on the cross, that's, that's what he did. He reconciled us unto God and redeemed us. So with God, there's always a new beginning. You don't have to be what you were in the past. Your life does not have to be defined by the worst moment of your life. God is the God of the second chance. And he promises you a new beginning. All you have to do to have that is simply to turn to God, just like David did. Repent and ask for his mercy. I don't know what your circumstance in life is right now. Most of us haven't gone as far and done the kind of things that David did. But wherever you are in your life, know that God is the God of the second chance. He loves you. He gives you an opportunity to make a new beginning. We all find ourselves in the wilderness at times. Maybe that's where you are today. Well, whatever you're struggling with, we want to give you this invitation this morning. Like David turned to God. He can redeem your suffering. He will forgive you with repentance. And he can give you a new beginning. As we prepare to close, I want to invite you to make that your prayer today. Let's pray together. God, you hear our prayers when we turn to you in the midst of our wilderness moments of life. You're always, even before we speak it and come to you, God, you're always more ready even to to forgive us. You're always there to forgive us. You know the issues that every one of us here wrestles with. You know our temptations. You know our struggles. You know the struggles we have between doing right and wrong and You know the pain you experience because of our choices. Today, oh God, I pray that you would forgive us. Heal us. Draw us near to you. In Christ, you promised to save us from our sins, oh Lord. You promised to save us from our guilt and our shame and our brokenness. And as we see here in the story of David, you can give us new life. You can give us a new beginning. You can make us new creatures. This is what we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen.